verse 13, 1 Corinthians 6 to the end of the chapter. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of his body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Father, um, we come today to look upon your word. We come now to hear from you. Father, we come now to bow before the ancient of days. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would teach us. Father, we would be strengthened in this time. That, Father, that your word would find very, very fertile ground. And that, Father, he who believes he is immune Father, may his foolishness be exposed. Father, may we understand that it is only by the grace of our Lord and our Savior that any can be used by you. Father, I ask that you teach. Father, they hear not me. They only hear you. Father, you know my heart, and I need your help now. Please help me. To my Lord and to my Savior, in Christ's name, amen. Verse 12, when we've studied that in the past few weeks, is I entitled it Christ's Freedom, what we have in Christ. He says that all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable for me. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by any. Uh, I broke that out into what the freedom that is in Christ is, what the freedom of sonship was, what the freedom to choose was, what the freedom of self-discipline was, what the freedom of limits was, and also the freedom of knowing who is watching It's interesting because when you look at the flow of this letter, I shared with some of you, people ask me, how do I study? And I don't don't really have a plan. But one of the things that I do is when I take a book, I write the book. I just write it out as a letter because that's originally what it was. I get rid of my chapters. I get rid of verses. I just write it out. What was Paul writing here in this letter? 
And it is interesting, the falling of this text and how it it came to be because of, of what he's dealing with. Because now he moves into our freedom, Christian freedom, verses 13 through 20. And we've been looking at a, 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 a series of problems that plagued the church in Corinth. Um, and yet, I believe that the same thing in the church in Corinth is alive and well, and in some cases thriving in the church in America. I know it is at least in the church here on the front range of Colorado. Uh, and and it's, uh, it's hard... It's hard to look at this letter to the Corinthian church and not immediately look up and see the church in which we labor. Uh, we heard this morning during the Sunday school hour, when I think about the church, I'm not thinking about Castle Rock Baptist Church. I think about the global church. I think about the saints uh, that I will not get to meet until I get to glory. Uh, and yet, um, I, I see a struggle with this. And it, we, we set in a society that is very, very much similar to the Corinthian church. Um, I need to give you a, a heads up so that you understand what I'm talking about. We have a tendency in our uh, vocabulary to um, put our own meanings on words. If you will look down there in verse 18, it says, flee immorality. Okay, we sometimes will fall into it saying that uh, drunken behavior is immorality. Uh, stealing is immoral. Or the thing, uh, the abortion is uh, immoral. That isn't the word here. Okay, the word here is porneia. Okay, so if you hear me use immorality, I am referring to one thing and one thing only. Sexual sin. Porneia is the word we get pornography from, uh, and I will use it back and forth, either immorality, meaning sexual sin, or I will try to use the word sexual sin. Listen, I need you to understand something. Regardless of our last president, sexual sin, God hates. All right? And he has done some things with sexual sin that I believe that many in this room are not aware of. Um, and, and that's sort of where I want to go today. How many Christians today believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Or do you believe that the Word of God is contained in the Bible? Uh, I'm safe in this fellowship to know that most of you know that where I stand and therefore you wouldn't continue to fellowship with me if you did not believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It is authoritative to the jot and to the tittle. Um, and what happens in this text is that um, Paul moves into a Christian perspective on what God demands. And, and I believe it's a, a, a phenomenal text but I have uh, trouble in my spirit thinking that some may disagree. Um, some will say, is it proper? Uh, I think if you're an adult and you have children, you will be adamantly wholehearted with what I say this day. If you are a young person, 
you will think, uh, well, you know, he's supposed to be that way because he's talking to the adults with children. Uh, some of you uh, in, the, in the, the throes of being single, whether through a, a, a heartbreak or perhaps you have not been married, and uh, uh, you may just disagree on the basis of, uh, but I'm convinced scripturally that God wishes to bless me and wishes me to be happy. I understand that lost people will not agree at all, and that's, that's fine. Um, in that, you know, if they have no knowledge of who Christ is, uh, they will not have a motivation to the things of Christ. Uh, unless you know the Lord Jesus Christ, unless you are a Christian, unless you know what it is to live for God, then this morality is going to seem a little strange, maybe a little weird, um, some of you may even get to the point where you say uh, you're not part of the real world. Uh, we have seen with the, I didn't see the Super Bowl, but it's obvious a whole lot of people did and bellyached about it. Um, I'm still, conv- why are you shocked? I mean, MTV is going to do the halftime show. And that should shock you? I, I I would probably be more shocked that it hadn't happened. Um, I, I'm I'm not really sure that we understand the real world because when I think about the real world, I think about the things of Christ. And so when I moved into this text and I understood what he's saying here, I understand what he's fighting about. He starts it out there in verse thir- thirteen: food is for the stomach, the stomach is for food, and God's going to do away with both of them. Okay, why? Why would he say that? I mean, doesn't it seem a corny way to deal with it? He's just come out of four chapters dealing with with division, schisms, okay, in the church based on philosophy and understanding. Then in chapter 5, he says that, you know what? You have got an, an immoral, you have a pornographic situation that you guys are ignoring, And then he goes through that and jumps into litigation that you're suing one another. And then out of the clear blue, he says, but all things are lawful. But I will not be mastered. And then he jumps back into pornography again. And you ask yourself, what in the world? And he starts it out dealing with food and stomach. Okay, uh, if you're if it says the belly, your best translation is going to be the stomach. It's the digestive system. Okay, um, and I believe that what happens is is the very thing that happens with you and I. You and I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Okay. And there are times, well, maybe you don't, but there's times when I'll be approached with something, a situation or a circumstance that I'm not sure what the Bible says about it. And I will say, I don't know, but I will go look at it. And any time, and I've shared with some of you that any time I study the scriptures, the one thing that I always go looking for first and foremost is absolute truth. What is the absolute truth here? Okay. What happens in the body of Christ is as in the church in Corinth. They were rationalizing their sexual activity. Why? You can understand a culture if you look at its language. 
All right? Because the language expresses the culture. All right? We all agree with that? Sort of, maybe. Some of you do. The rest of you think, I don't understand. In the Greek culture, there are 14 words for sexual impropriety. Should say a lot, don't you think? Um, and that is what the Corinthian culture was under. If you read history, you will see that uh, many historians say that it was uh, Rome conquered the Greek Empire militarily, but the collapse of the Roman Empire was done by the Greeks morally because they wanted the quote-unquote freedom. Every single one of you, now I, I need to make this specific because some of you were saved and have been in church for many, many years. You, you grew up in church, uh, your, your parents were in church, you know, you, you, whatever. Okay, some of you got saved at that magic age of eight. Uh, I heard that there's a lot, of, five, eight, and nine is the salvation age. Uh, mine was 26. Hey, what can I say? I, I like to do things different. Um, and, and yet, when we look at that, when you come into the body of Christ, I'm talking about you have now been immersed into his death. You have been raised to walk in the newness of life. You bring with you your society, your culture, your wisdom, your understanding. Comes right along with you. And then in the process that God um, convicts, that God sanctifies through the exposition of truth in your life, you will start jettisoning a lot of that stuff uh, that you consider logic, wisdom, understanding, and practical things. Because our God is a God who is impractical. Our God defies our logic, and He loves to embarrass you when you stand in your logic. We have many today that believe uh, we are free. We have many today who believe that sex is a biological thing. Uh, it was instilled in us for um, reproduction. Re- reproduction. That's, I'm just going to make more, and that's I'm supposed to. Uh, I remember a guy one time using it that if a ferret doesn't breed, it will die. And that was his uh, excuse for being promiscuous. And uh, you're not a ferret. <laughs> Um, what, what can I say? Uh, but that was, it was biological. When you read verse 13, he says the stomach is for food, right? What does that mean? It's biological. You have to eat it. Why? Try it. Try not. And that is what he's coming at as an argument here. Uh, I see some who say, well, my sin has been taken care of. What is the big deal? Um, I've heard this one, but you don't understand. We love each other. Okay. Um, in the society in which this letter was written, there was a verb called to Corinthianize. And it had to do with a person who was adamant about spending as much time as possible with a prostitute. 
If you were a, a Corinthianizer, you were promiscuous to say the least. Okay? In the light of the church here in Corinth, that was normal life. Their society existed that way. I've done some stuff. Uh, you guys know I love history. I spent some time uh, studying um, some of the uh, archaeological diggings of Thessalonica and Corinth. And they had carvings that were on the wall that for you and I would be pornographic. But it was carvings, it was artwork, and it was done everywhere. It was normal uh, uh, it was just normal for the society. Way more liberal than what you see today. Um, and yet we as Christians and these Christians in this church, um, you're not part of the world. You are spiritually alive to the things of God. Um, the issue is this, and I believe that it plagues us today, is the carrying our former life into the church. Okay, and I want to emphasize this because chronology has nothing to do with this. Uh, I don't care what age you were saved. You will bring the society which you exist in into the church. And God will deal with it as he deems necessary. Um, you know, I look at the letter, this first letter, Corinthians, uh, and, and second Corinthians. I've shared with some of you how, how I came to these two letters. Uh, 2 Corinthians deals with the life of ministry. Okay? You can't go to 2 Corinthians without 1 Corinthians. Why? Because 1 Corinthians deals with personal holiness. Okay? Don't ever look at the letter to the 1 Corinthians as such and such needs to hear this or my wife needs to... Well, that's probably not a good one. Um, you know, I have a cousin who needs to hear this or one of these people in the church needs to hear this. Let me tell you something. When I look at Corinthians, I look at me. Why? Because if I am going to be an effective minister for the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost, I have got to be striving for my own personal holiness. I have been set apart from the world. The church has been set apart from the world. We in this church... We in the church have divisions over human leaders, over human teachers. I get the opportunity this uh, in a first week of uh, March to see two diametric, diametric, you know what I'm trying to say, opposed teachers. Okay, one has the gift of knowledge and is a theologian; the other one is a shepherd. And I rejoice at both. One likes to hang out in the stratosphere. And use $25 words. The other guy is in your face. This is how it is. And rubber hits the road. Okay. And I rejoice with both of them. One, I completely disagree adamantly with his eschatology. His end times. Okay. And it's over one word. And. Okay. That's just. It's a long story. One is R.C. Sproul and the other is Al Mohler. Okay. Uh, and, and, and if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But I will get to spend time with both, and I rejoice at it. And yet, these, both of these men have been given unto me to teach me. I love that. I love that. But I will have, if the opportunity arises. What about and? Um, just, just kind of funny, all right? They had divisions over philosophy. Uh, I get people who ask this. What's your philosophy of ministry? 
my wisdom of ministry. Okay. Uh, and I actually had a person one time, they were asking me, would I fill out an application for another place? And, um, but we need you to write a paper on your philosophy of ministry. <clears throat> I don't need a piece of paper. Present every man complete in Christ. I mean, how big a piece of paper do you need for that? I could print it big, okay? Um, no, this is a long time ago. I'm not taking job applications. Um, but it's just stuff like that that I get people, uh, what has happened to us? We're here for the glory of the risen king. Um, we see litigation. Uh, there is a prominent Christian this day who's in litigation, uh, if I mentioned his name and, and what he has written, you would all say, I know that. And he's suing. And I'm sitting there saying, you can't do that. Well, wow, you sound just like the world. Um, we have immorality in the church. Um, you know, and we have people who are coming out of a life of sexual sin and who are coming to salvation. Guess what? They still want sexual sin. Um, and and I, I, want, I want you to understand something. God forgives. He forgives it. But let me explain to you something about sexual sin. There is a high price for sexual sin, sexual immorality. Um, if you see that verse 18, he says, uh, every other sin that a man commits is outside his body. But the immoral man, the sexual sinning man, sins against his own body. Okay? God's forgiveness is absolute. It is complete. And it literally will get rid of guilt. I do not even have to carry guilt. But in the sin of sexual immorality, um, there is a price to pay because there is a harm that is built in to the sin. Okay? If a man steals, he was supposed to steal. If he stole, the penalty was to pay back sevenfold. Right? So you had the penalty of that sin. What was the penalty for adultery? Death by stoning. What was the penalty for sin outside of marriage? Okay, not two people who are married. I'm talking about uh, what we would call a premarital sex. Do you know what the penalty was? You had to pay retribution to the parent of the girl. And then you had to marry her. No other sin that a man or a woman commits that is, has a... that has built into it a deep-rooted damage than that sin of sexual immorality has. I argue 
that sexual sin has destroyed more people than drugs and alcohol could ever destroy. Okay? So I'm going to lay a foundation here. Because you look at verse 13, we see that we have a master. But I want you to know what the master has given you and I this day. All right? So if you would, please turn with me to Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5. Okay, everybody needs to go here, okay, because uh, if you disagree with me, uh, then you can disagree with the author of this book. I want to start verse 3, okay, because he starts out with a very interesting phrase in verse 1, doesn't he? Give attention to my wisdom. Okay, my son is direct reference to anyone younger than me. Anyone who does not understand the things that I understand. It is not based on chronology. I know people who chronologically are younger than me, but have way more wisdom than I could ever attain. Okay, he says, give attention to my wisdom. Look what he says here. The lips of an, and depending on your translation, uh, New American Standard translates it adulterous, uh, strange woman, strange woman. For the lips of a strange woman drip honey and are smoother than oil is her speech. Strange woman. You know what's amazing about the strange woman in that verse? She draws interest. She draws interest. Okay? Um, I'm not going to be biased. Please, women, understand there are men who draw interest. There are men who are sweet in their talk. There are men and women who can speak in such a way that it is smooth as oil. There is no friction. It is always compassionate. It is always longing. It is always hearing. It is always understanding. It is always... They care. It is always based on what? They have a deep concern for me. I can tell. Listen to how they speak to me. Listen to how they encourage me. Have you ever noticed how this person, they will listen to my problems? Why? Because they're smooth and they're sweet. Look at verse 4. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Wormwood. You got to love it. I mean, if you read wormwood, what do you think of? It doesn't sound like a good thing, does it? I mean, worms, wood. Nah, I'm just not thinking that's going to work. All right, wormwood. Uh, you don't have to go there. Eight, Chapter 8, verse 11 of the book of Revelation says, And the name of the star was called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the waters because 
they were made bitter. I can just leave wormwood with that definition and we'll all get along, right? Wormwood is bitter to the point of can kill you. All right, back to our text. Watch what happens. This smooth talker who is sweet, who can just really make me feel wonderful, is bitter and has a two-edged sword. Okay? Let me tell you something about a two-edged sword. We can all use the illustration and say, well, it cuts both ways. Here's one of the things that can happen with a two-edged sword. What happens if you run into something that's a little harder and you need to get a hold of it and you have to push on one edge to get it to go through? Don't work very well, does it? When it got a little bit tough, what happened? I pushed on it and I was injured. Look what it says in verse 5. Her feet go down to death and her steps take hold of Sheol. You got that? It's subtle. It's sneaky. But foremost, it is deceptive. Why? Well, you don't understand. Uh, I've come from a broken relationship. Uh, they listen to me. Um, they, they are so encouraging to me. They helped me through a time of sorrow. They helped me through a time of suffering. And yet, did you look at verse 6 and says, she does not ponder the path of life. What is down the road? If I continue down this road, what is down the road? How many people, when they are listening and they are feeling, are saying, but what is down the road? What is down the road? Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Do you know that? Have you ever, has anybody here ever dealt with somebody who is unstable? Yeah, some of you have. I've dealt with a plethora of unstable people. And you know what? I have yet to meet an unstable person who knew they were unstable. Okay? And God opens their eyes and they understand that they are unstable. Okay? Look at verse uh, 7. Now then, sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. <laughs> Do I need to explain that? Do I need, do we need to make sense of that? No, stay away. I mean, uh, does it take brains? You don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to say, what is he saying? Don't go near it. Don't entertain it. Don't even get near the door. That's why I have my, uh, in my office, my flea door. Okay, if I get into a situation where a woman, or, well, I guess in our society, if a man <laughs> starts going too, you know, getting too personal to something, I'm out the door. And you guys can say I'm a chicken. You can call me anything you want. But you know what? Joseph ran. Timothy was encouraged to run. And I'm, I've been around too long. I've been around too long. Look at this, what he says here. What happens if I do not heed this? What happens if you think that you're strong enough to overcome it? You don't understand. I'm prayed up. 
You don't understand. I've read my Bible. You don't understand. God's using me mightily. You don't understand. And you know what? I have seen this in actions, brothers and sisters. I have seen this. I have witnessed it. And it breaks my heart and makes me sick of my stomach when I think about it today. Because I see it many times start off with good intentions. With good intentions. She's a widow. She is grieving the loss of her husband. I must minister. Really? Why don't you let your wife? Well, my wife doesn't have that gift. Then you should run. Okay, look what it says. Or you will... New American Standard. I like this and it took me a while to figure out what in the world did he tell me? Okay, here's what New American Standard says in verse uh, 9. Or you will give her your vigor... I don't know about you guys. When I first read that, I said, my what? My vigor? <laughs> what the heck is that? Um, <laughs> your honor. Your respect. That's what it means. Why? We tend to be a little more honorable. And what does it say when I lose my honor? Your year and your years to the what does it say? Cruel one. Look at verse 10. And strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. Why? Because I listened to the sweet words, I listened to the smoothness of what was being said. And I did not look down the path, nor did I look for something that was unstable. And by doing that, I was drawn into it. And in doing that, all of my honor was gone. You will lose what you have. And many a man and a woman have been destroyed over this issue. What you've worked hard for will go to a house of a stranger. People have lost their lives, their livelihood, and it all becomes, it all based on immorality, sexual sin. Look at verse 11. Here's what happens. And you're grown, and you groan at your final end. A ladder. Your ladder. At the conclusion of when it's all done, guess what happens? You're sick. Let me tell you something. Um, I, I was talking to some people. Uh, I work down there at that challenge course, and uh, it's sometimes fun to annoy these young kids. Um, but I am uh, closer to 50 now than I am 40. And people say, well, how do you do these things? I said, I can do everything I could do when I was 20. It just takes me about six months to heal. Um, so I don't do them as often. All right? Do you understand that your body is physically on the decline? Do you understand that there's coming a point in all of our lives, should our Lord tarry and you should last a while, that you can't function anymore? Uh, you will not have physical capabilities that you used to have. You know what? 
you will not have sexual capabilities that you used to have. And you will have absolutely nothing but pain, agony, and remorse should you fall into this sin. Because at some point in time, so I told my son, uh, my son's got him a girlfriend and they're doing the <laughs> the thing. And I said, uh, he says, Dad, what do you think? And I said, here's what you do. And he says, what's that? I said, go look at her mom. He says, what? I said, go look at her mom because that's what she's going to be in about 30 years. And you ask yourself, is that really what you want? Right? Okay, because if you're going to hook up for life, guess what? There's what you get. What? It's all on the decline. Gravity takes hold. And you can look at it. And the, in First Peter, it says, you know what? Uh, a godly woman will have an inward adornment, that, a beauty that cannot be stolen. Right? Right? You're grown. You will mourn. Why? Your flesh and your body are consumed. Verse 12. And you say, how have I hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof? I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin and in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. You see what that is? The assembly and the congregation. Textually, contextually, you're looking at Israel, the synagogue, the temple. Once you fell into this, you were not allowed into the temple anymore. There was no more sacrifice could be open. What he's saying is, guess what? You will see it. it will, the ruin will be on your face. I run into a, a, a 16-year-old girl that looked 40 because she, started, she was convinced to start having sex at 14. I offered her the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. and She refused it because she said, I am dirty. I am unclean. I said, yeah, absolutely. Welcome to my club. As far as I know, she never did repent. She had had four abortions before she was 16. And yet she was haggard. You can see it around her eyes. I look at eyes, and I'll show you the detriment of that here in a minute. But I look around her eyes, and you can see it. Uh, They were sunken back in. 16 years old. Why, there was mourning. What a fool was I. Drop down to verse 18. Because I want you to see verse 18. Alright? I want you to understand something. God is not against sex. Alright? I, 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 just, I just really want you to understand it. He's not against sex. Alright? But, He did design it. He created it. He, and He molded it. And this is how it will work. Here's what He says in verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Okay? When you were a young man, that woman that you married, rejoice in that woman. Rejoice in her. Why? She is a gift from God to you. Rejoice in that woman. I know. Please. I've crossed the 40 barrier. I know how it all starts working. But you know what? That's why you, if you don't look at the inner being, you are going to be really bummed out. Uh, well, you are. I mean, because at some point in time, you got to look deep, baby. got to look deep. Okay? You just got to. Why? Because that is that attraction. The attraction should be 
deeper. All right. Look what he says here. Verse 18. Rejoice in her. As a loving hind, a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. And then I didn't really want to dwell there, but be exhilarated always with her love. You know what the word in the Hebrew is right there? I can't say it. Intoxicated. Have you ever thought about that? Be intoxicated with her. I like that idea. I do. I'm intoxicated at times with my wife. I need to be more. Why? My wife is a gift from my God. It was personal to me. Verse 20. Why should you, my son, be intoxicated with a strange woman? See that? He says, listen, God has given you this gift. And you need to rejoice in this gift. Not only rejoice in this gift, be exhilarated in your love for her. Why? It's a precious gift from our king. Look what he says, verse 21. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all of his paths. Do you see what he just did? You got to love that. You got to love that one. 1819. He says, look what you've been given. I've given you a gift. Okay? This is an amazing gift. It's a supernatural gift. It's a joyous gift. I want you to rejoice in this thing. Look what I've given you. All right? So why would you ever want to be intoxicated with a strange woman? Why? Because are not the eyes of the Lord everywhere? Do you believe that? Let me show you a guide that our Lord has given. Chapter 6, verse 23. Okay? You're stumbling around. You're trying to figure out your, your role. Um, I, I think about a couple of you who are, you know, do, am I going to get married? Am I, where's my husband? Where's my wife? Da, 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 da. You know, I had told Dan Hallgarth that uh, his wife had died at birth, um, but... Uh, um, evidently, I was wrong, um, or, or he didn't heed my instruction, perhaps. Um, verse twenty-three: the commandment is a light; the teaching is uh, is a lamp, and the teaching is a light. All right. If I am trying to seek out a person to have uh, a relationship with, where would I go to get instruction on that? That's kind of what I thought in the book. Why? Reproves for discipline are a way of life. Why? He said, you know what? You're still going to be forgiven. What does he say? Look, verse 24. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the foreign woman. There's that smooth thing again. How do I stay away from that? Does that seem too simplistic? Doesn't it seem like there shouldn't be something more there? Right? Is there? I mean, you're telling me all I need to do is be in the Bible? I told my daughter that. I said, when you, she called me one time when she was in California in school, and she said, uh, Daddy, uh, what was that guy's name? Danny. Danny was his name. Um, 
I told him some other things, but I told him, I said, when you go out, I'll, I said, it's, it's very simple, very easy. And she said, what's that? I said, take your Bible with you. And I said, when you get in a car, you just put your Bible between you and him. And he has to get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to get to you. <laughs> right? Um, and then I did encourage her that her father could hit a pumpkin at 500 yards through iron sights. Uh, between the two, it seemed to work well. All right? Um, so if I go back and we look at this, it says that the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. It reproves for discipline are the way of life and it will keep me from the evil woman, uh, the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And I want to show you something here because it's, it's interesting because I, I want you to understand something. There is a time in our lives when you may get approached by a person who is in need of your ministry. Now listen, I want, to, I want to be specific here. It can be a man, it can be a woman. All right? Please hear me well on this. Their tongue will be smooth. Verse 25. Do not desire her beauty. Where? Where? How many of us have run into people that we take and we play with it in our heads? Everyone in this room. Everyone in this room has run into somebody at some point in time where they took that person and the beauty of that person you played with. You tossed it around, you took it and you... I don't understand. Uh, You do it more if you're single... Because I can play and I'm allowed to. No, you can't. Nor are you allowed to. I, and listen, age is no boundary here. I don't care if you, I'm over the hill. I don't care. I don't care. This does not go away. There is not a mortal human being immune to this. And if you take it and you start playing with it, guess what? You've allowed lust to enter in and you will give, it will grow and it will give birth to sin. And what will happen? You'll die. Look at verse 25 again. Nor let her capture you with her eyelids. I love the human eye. It's just an amazing thing to me. I like... Uh, I have several reasons. When people are lying to me, they can't make eye contact. Okay, so uh, whenever I'm talking with people, I have an ability or a desire to make eye contact. And the eye is a fascinating thing to me. It's just, it's pretty. I mean, you can take two blue eyes and they are not the same. Uh, You can take two green eyes, they're not the same. Two brown eyes are not the same. It's just a fascinating thing to me. Uh, And I will be honest with you that in my life before Christ, um, I fell many, many times. Do not let her catch you with her eyelids. Okay, I can do all the corny things. You know, it's just that thing, you know. And if you think this is new, why do we have Maybelline? Max Factor. What is that for? 
mean, Solomon's writing the book of Proverbs says, stay away from makeup. Why? Because all it does is enhance what? To catch flies. <laughs> the literal Hebrew here is provocative eyes. You ever heard this statement? If looks could kill? Let me tell you something. They can. More than you'll have ever dreamed. Why? All you have to do is take a glance. All David saw was an ankle. See, and I thought I was bad to be kind of into eyes. I mean, how, how bad is it to be into ankles? Okay, and let's read, read on what he says here. Verse 26, for on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. How cool is that? Why? You're going to give up your honor. You're going to give up your respect. Guess what? If you fall into adultery, you'll give up everything you own. Right? Look what it says. Do you, do you know, I read that, and when I think about it, something as exalted as a man, designed in the image of God, is brought down to a piece of bread. All based on a harlot. Okay, literally it means, um, if you read on, the harlot that is spoken of there in verse 26, and it says, New American Standard says, and an adulteress hunts for precious life. You know what that means? It's, you know what the literal Hebrew is there? A man's wife hunts for the precious life. Okay, let me give you the vernacular. Grass is greener. Grass is greener. That's the way it is. Why? We have it. We, we own it. We possess it. We, we rejoice in it. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Something just walks by. And then you play with it. And you play with it. And you, I'm in church. I'm in Bible study. I teach a Sunday school class. I do this. I do this. Da, 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 da. Go down the line. But always in the back of your mind, what are you doing? I'm playing with it. I'm wrestling with it. You know what? But they seem like a godly person. Da, 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 da. They go down the line. They go down the line. They go down the line. And guess what? They lose it all. Why? Verse 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can he? Look at verse 28. Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? No. Look what he says in verse 29. So the one who goes to his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her, what does it say? Will not go unpunished. Why? God's looking at everything, correct? So you really believe that you can do this and not get caught? I want you to look at something here. He will not go unpunished. Look what he says here in verse 30. He says, men do not despise. Look what he says here. A thief, if he steals, to satisfy himself when he's hunger. All right? But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. Okay? Literally, he... What happens to him? He would destroy... It's, New American Standard says himself does it, but it literally means he will destroy his soul. 
I'm going to destroy my soul if I do this. Hmm. Lacks sense in verse 32, has no heart. Why? Because a thief is not despised. He was hungry. He stole. He needed it. Okay? But a man who would steal a wife is what? He's despised. Not only that, he destroys his own soul. He destroys his own soul. God forgives it. But it don't make it right. And you know what? And it definitely, according to that text there, um, verse 32, uh, it don't make it smart. Don't make it smart. Drop down to chapter 7. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, verse 4, and call understanding your intimate friend. That is what I've just done to all of you. Okay? Wisdom says, stay away. Do not destroy your own soul. Understanding says, your heart can be right, but understand the smoothness and deception and the subtlety of it. Verse 5, that you may keep that they may keep you who will. They may keep me from an adulteress, a strange woman, from the foreigner who flatters with their words. Back up again to verse 23, chapter 6. The commandment is a light and the teaching is a light, a lamp and a light. Why do I keep saying that? Why? If I'm going to stay away from those who flatter me with words, how am I going to do that? Stay in the book. Stay on my knees. Stay around the saints. Look, now I want to show this because I, 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 want, to, I want you to see this. Because verse 6, he gives an illustration. And this is as a, a, appropriate at the time of the writing of Solomon as any time in the history of existence of humanity. Look what happens in verse 6. He gives an illustration of this. He says, you've got to stay away from flattering words. Okay, look what he says here. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. How cool is that? You know what that is? I've got a window up and I've got this lattice that in the spring I have vines up so I can't see through it. But I'm looking through my lattice because I can look through my lattice and who will see me? Nobody. So I just happened to what? Just happened to be glancing out there and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths. What's he saying? He said, I saw the simple ones. I saw the kids. I seen the young men. What were they doing? A young man lacking sense. What was he doing? He was passing through the street corner where? Near her house. Whose house? Read on. And he takes the way to her house. All right. What happens? I witnessed this. Young people think this is good. Okay. It says that you are stupid, you are silly. Okay? Why? Verse 8, there's more traffic on the corner. What do you think this is a way to live? This is what you're supposed to do. I'm a man. I'm supposed to do this. This is how I'm supposed to be. Look at verse 9. In the twilight of the evening and in the middle of the night and in the darkness. If that's what you're supposed to do, why do you have to do it in the dark? Why do you have to wait where there are no witnesses? And behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot. You know what that means, dressed as a harlot in the Hebrew? Let me give you today's vernacular. 
looking good. She looked wonderful. She's not, you think of harlot, you think of the, the things you see on television. That is not the term that is used here. The term that is used here is this is extraordinarily pleasing to my eyes. That's what he's looking at. I'm looking at a very well-dressed woman. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. I want to show you, this is not a harlot. This is not, we, we get this thing, we think this is a prostitute. This isn't a prostitute. This is not a prostitute. I want you to understand that. Why? This is a woman whose husband is away on business. Look what he says. Verse 13. This is what I call the direct approach. She seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, Look what she says. I was due to offer a peace offering today, and I have paid my vows. You know what that means? I got my relationship with God squared away. It's okay. All right? Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. How many people like to hear that there's someone who's pursuing them? I want you. I like spending time with you. I like conversing with you. I want to be with you. You are just mean a lot to me. How many here like to hear that? I'm the only one. (laughs) Look what she says. I have spread my couch with the coverings and colored linens from Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come drink. Let, come, let us drink. Let fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves in the caresses. What he says. What's verse 19 say? Husband's gone. He's out on business. This is not a harlot, people. This is not a prostitute. This is not a woman that you pay to have sex with. This is a woman who has left her house. He's gone on a long journey and he's taking a big bag of money with him at full moon before he comes back. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Okay? Goes in. This is a person who is loved. This is a person uh, who knows loves. This is a person who is just caring for other people. This is a person that they use have been just swept off their feet. Their love is overwhelming. They care for me. They talk to me. They want to be a part of my life. They sought me out. Right? Nope. This is an ox to slaughter. That's what it says. Verse 22. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter. Yahoo! Gives a whole different picture, doesn't it? You ever been around a slaughterhouse? The ox steers have got looks on their face that says, this isn't going to be good. And yet they go into it because they've been enticed. Look what it says in verse 23. Until an arrow pierces through his liver. When the liver is punctured, it has a very deep, dark 
stinky blood to it because it's in the filtering process. So whenever a liver has been injured in a, through an outside, everybody knows it because it, it's almost like the color of a beet. It's not the red that when you like you cut your finger, it gets that beet color comes out of it. And in the time of the writing of this book, a liver injury only meant death. Okay, it, it would be like trying to drive your car with no oil filter. How long would that accomplish? Same thing with a liver injury. Okay. As the bird hastens to a snare, so does, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. God is going to forgive. But the people who do this will have a horrible end. They will have uh, much pain and agony. Chapter 9, verse 17 says, Stolen water is sweet, the bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that death is there. And that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Okay. Now it's easy for us to sit here as a bunch of guys and say, them crazy women. Look what they're doing to us. I got news for you. Uh, Timothy tells me, Second Timothy tells me that there's coming a time when men will draw into weak-willed women loaded down with sin and take them captive. Why? Sitting ducks. In chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, verse 8, it said there was 23,000 Israelites dropped dead in one day for committing adultery. I have but one, two more little texts that I want to bring to you quickly. Um, David, Psalm of David. For I know my verse 50, or chapter 51, beginning in verse 3, and I just cruise through this. I know my transgression, my sin is ever before you. Against you only I have sinned and I've done evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David is uh, dealing with the fact that he had uh, been approached by Nathan the prophet on the, uh, what had happened with uh, Bathsheba. Um, he said, you have sinned. He said, and whatever you do, you are justified and whatever you do, Blameless. Behold, I have brought forth iniquity, in my, and in my in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me known wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. What what you're looking at there is a man who is grieved. He had paid for a sin. He was in the process of suffering for a sin. And you know what is amazing about David? He paid for that sin every waking day of his life. He paid for that sin. He never forgot it. It destroyed him. It destroyed his family. In the Psalms, you will find David is alone and he is lonely. He is bearing that sin wholly and solely by himself. In particular, this sin has a way of making you lonely isolating you even when you're with the other person it will immediately isolate you you are afraid somebody might find out and you get to be all alone in your evil david was sick david became physically ill he had a conscience of guilt and your guilt will beat you silly 
And yet at the conclusion of 51, you see that he was forgiven. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. That you will not, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I have given. You have not pleased with my burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let me tell you something. If you fall into sexual sin, the only way you'll get out of it is a broken and contrite heart. And here's the thing. God will break your heart. Last verse that I want you to think about comes out of uh, the church of Thessalonica, chapter 4. For you know our commandments, verse 2, you know our commandments we gave you with the authority of Jesus Christ. This is the will of God. What? Your sanctification. What? Your holiness. I want your holiness. What did I say the book of 1 Corinthians was? Personal holiness. Okay, here's what he says. This is the will of God. Your personal holiness. Your sanctification. What is that? Tell me what it is. That is that you what? Abstain from sexual sin. Pornea. That each of you. Look what it says here. Each of you know how to possess his own vessel in what? And honor. Holiness and honor. Okay? What happens when you fall into sexual sins? The first thing you give up. Respect and honor. You stepped away from my holiness. Look what he says. You know how to handle your own bodies, your own vessels, that each of you know how to possess his own vessels, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Don't act like lost people. Why are we so consumed that I have to marry, I have to have this relationship? Who tells you you have to have that? Pagan Gentiles. If God created in you to be married, guess what? He'll provide. You don't have to hunt. You don't have to run an ad. You don't have to look with your eyes. You sell out to the things of Christ. And guess what? One of these days you're going to look over and there's going to be the perfect fit for you who has sold out to the things of God and you will be one. I don't have to look. It's right there. God says, I'll provide it. I find it ironic that we can go to him to heal us of a disease, but he can't find me a spouse. That's amazing to me. No man, look what he says in verse 6. No man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things just as we told you and solemnly warned you. Still context is what? Fleeing sexual immorality. Possess your vessel in such a way that it is holy and it is respected. And understand this. If you don't, God is the avenger and he'll deal with it. And you know what, brothers and sisters? I've never seen a case where God didn't deal with it. I set that as the framework for where we'll go. You have to understand what God has said about it. He created sex. It is something that I am, I take my bride and it intoxicates me, my love for her. It's that simple. But if you go out and you try to do it yourself, you will be intoxicated. I guarantee it. 
But you'll be intoxicated by the lusts of the Gentiles, the pagans, the lost people. And you'll believe that this individual will bring you what? Satisfaction, wholeness, completion, what? What will it bring you? I will tell you this. It will bring you heartache. It will bring you agony. It will bring you physical strain. It will bring you such grief that you may never, ever get away from it in this mortal life. You'll carry it. You'll carry it. And it is a sin that inherent in and of itself begins its punishment as soon as you step into it. And regardless of the smoothness, regardless of how sweet it sounds, regardless of how subtle it is, it will condemn you. Condemn you. You will bear it in this life. Yes, you're saved. Absolutely. But the Apostle Paul says it is possible that you could be cast away, found absolutely useless for ministry. And the only sin that I know that can do that, has the potential to do that almost immediately, is sexual sin. It's that simple. It's that simple. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, uh, I pray that we've heard. Father, I pray that you've opened our eyes and our hearts that we may understand. Father, that your way is only perfect. Father, let us bow before your word now and the commandment as a lamp and your teachings as that light that we may walk the path of holiness. Father, search our hearts. Expose us for what we, 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 may, we stumble, struggle with. And yet, Father, let us rejoice at forgiveness. Rejoice at the joy of our forgiveness. And Father, may we understand the day and the age in which we live in and the battle that is there for our soul, the battle that is there for the effectiveness of our ministry. Father, may we bow before you, knowing that you have given us the strength to overcome. And Father, you can set us free. And Father, you have opened our eyes into the holiness and the perfection that you have set. Father, may we just rest full weight there. To you and you alone, my King. In Christ's name, amen.